And then this is uh, allegedly camel hair from Balochistan, in all likelihood, acquired in a Pashtun market in Lahore for 600 rupees or $6. No. Which is one of my one of my favorite possessions. I had to pick a lot of burrs out of it, but now it's very soft. I feel the same way about the Senate Intelligence Committee. Welcome to this week's episode of Fear, Honor, and Interest, the podcast where two straight white guys who went to Yale solve America's cultural divisions by airing their episodes out of order. I'm your host, Charles Bovinger, coming to you from Washington, D.C. With me on the line from Istanbul this week, my co-host David Wheel. David, how is it going? Going great, Charles. Glad to start to unkink our timeline here and hopefully move forward into a glorious future together. Well, one one certainly hopes so. Um, yeah, the uh, for those of you who were wondering why on earth some of the episodes got posted out of order, and even though I set the track numbers so that they should be accurate, they still ended up getting posted um, in a way that makes them appear disjointed in the feed. The reason for this is that there were a couple of episodes that um, were going to take a little while to edit because they were just a little messier than usual in the recording. And I thought I was going to have a government shutdown and then another government shutdown to get that editing done. But those government shutdowns ended up not giving me even a single day off. So that didn't end up happening. And they got pushed off. Then we recorded a later episode that required virtually no editing. So I thought, well, I'll just put this up immediately. And the most amazing part to me when I did get back and do the editing is that in one of those episodes, I said, well, we were... as the shutdown was just happening again in real life, um, said, well, you know, we're about to have a shutdown, but that's not as uncommon as it used to be. So uh, that all tracks rather nicely. Um, But uh, this week we have a very serious topic uh, to cover, which um, is a topic that, speaking of things that are not as uncommon as they used to be or as they should be, uh, we're going to talk about mass shootings and America's gun culture today because uh, we're recording this on February 28th, uh, sorry, February 18th, 2018. This is, we've just had yet another school shooting massacre. Um, We've seen the same rituals that we go through every time these happen. Um, There used to be a point up to say Sandy Hook where we really thought, oh, this is going to change things. We've had this kind of mass slaughter in a school that was on such a scale that people are going to have to change something. And it felt like there was momentum for it, but then nothing went anywhere. And after the Las Vegas shooting, we thought, well, surely we can at least ban some of these smaller things like bump stocks and maybe even some expanded uh, ammo containers to make these mass shootings a little less effective. And once again, nothing happened. And America goes through the same ritual every time, which is, There's the sudden shock of, oh, there was a horrible mass shooting today. It gets wall-to-wall press coverage for a day. Um, Some people on the left start calling for gun control, gun restrictions on whatever type of gun was used. Uh, The Republicans say now is not the time to talk about gun control, and they insist instead all we should offer are our thoughts and prayers, and we should take no actual action. They'll do polls of the public that will show that 90% of the public favors whatever measure it is the Democrats are trying to push. But if you call it gun control, suddenly they don't support it anymore. 
Um, and then the Republicans will manage to prevent any vote from coming to the floor. Nothing will end up happening. And um, then stealthily, a bunch of states will loosen gun restrictions rather than tightening them. And then in a few more months, we'll have another shooting just like this. We'll go through the exact same ritual. And that appears to be what's going to happen now. I mean, up, up to this point, I haven't actually seen any states yet start passing um, loosening, loosenings to their gun restrictions. But we're a little too early for that phase in the cycle yet. But I think the cycle is accelerated at this point. I mean, we've gotten to the point now where um, before anyone even said anything, people were saying to Republican politicians, don't you dare just offer us thoughts and prayers again. Yeah, it's not clear to me how, um, you know, there's an analogy here to uh, Trump's approval where um, – Most of the, you know, the, the the game for him is his core support, and um, that range has been like, you know, eighty to ninety percent support of you know core Republican voters sticking with him, and as long as he's got that, it doesn't really matter what you know the rest of the country thinks, and so that's where he is with this, you know, forty percent roughly. 35 to 40% approval rating, uh, depending on the measurements. And, um, you know, the fact that, you know, the rest of the country is saying, don't you dare offer me thoughts and prayers, doesn't mean that that um, 80 to 90% of Republicans aren't satisfied with, you know, with those same rituals of, uh, you know, of sort of pious morning that, um, you know, I agree with you that I think there is something different about this shooting, or there certainly does seem to be something different about this shooting. But to me, um, what I mean, what I see as being different is the fact that, uh, the survivors themselves have been able to take the spotlight and articulate in their own words with their own vision, their own, um, just their own experience, their own, um, perspective, uh, and the, and the possibility of constituting their own movement, you know, their response and the fact that they don't want thoughts and prayers. And, um, you know, this is, this is valuable for a bunch of reasons. One, just being, getting young people to focus on politics is valuable in and of itself. And so having that, uh, you know, this source of energy being, among high school students themselves is, is great. And then the other is that, uh, you know, to the extent that politics is local, the fact that the shooting was in Florida and that Florida is a pivotal state uh, for congressional and uh, presidential politics, you know, means that this, you know, this time could really be different. Like people have constantly repeated this, uh, or there's been a meme that, um, you know, gun control, the gun control debate is over because after Newtown, America decided that it was okay for elementary students to be murdered and nothing was done after that. And so now, you know, what could you possibly expect? And there's obviously a point to that. Um, but, you know, politics 
is amoral and part of the problem with Newtown is that, you know, the children were murdered, their parents were angry, and their parents continued voting in Connecticut, which was our, you know, the, the political power of which was already baked into the calculations of national, you know, actors. Now, however, it's Florida. The victims were young adults. Their peers and the survivors are themselves, many of them, able to vote. And they're able to go and actually, you know, speak in front of the cameras and um, carry their own fight forward and organize, as I said, in a state that, that really matters. So, um you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm big in the, in the post Trump period. One of the things that I've been focusing on in terms of my own attempt to understand the politics of the moment is the, um, you know, the uses and abuses of political sanctimony. Mm. And, um, I think one of the huge, huge problems of the Clinton campaign was this kind of pious sanctimony in, you know, just look at this filthy man who's disgracing our country. Um, it just didn't work. It didn't work. It got the people who were already convinced to feel great about how convinced they were. And it did nothing to change minds. I, it seems to be my reaction. I mean, that's my reaction that, you know, that seems to be the case. Um, you know, and sanctimony hasn't helped in the, you know, in the aftermath of Newtown. But this isn't sanctimony. This is power. This is organizing power and a new and finding a new source of that organization in these young people who were directly uh, affected by this episode. And then the idea that, you know, that uh, they're making the call now for a national walkout, that strikes me as um, potentially very effective political theater. So, so I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful, you know, not because it's, you know, an even more extreme outrage that people will be even more offended by. You know, I'm, I'm hopeful because um, a new population is being is potentially being summoned to assume the duties and responsibilities of exercising political power. No, that's a really good point. And um, while I had noticed that, you know, the students were very involved in this until sitting here and talking with you, I had not really thought about how you know, a lot of it does come down to the fact that they're the right age and in the right place to be able to talk about this. I mean, um, you know, then I, I paused and thought about the, the Newtown shooting again, and that just makes it, you know, even all the sadder and harder to bear when you think that the children there are so small that they couldn't be talking about this. Yeah. I mean, that's just, you know, it's heartbreaking. And all of these, these, these mass shootings are heartbreaking. And somehow, you know, the, and the, the, the danger with having frequent heartbreaking scenarios like this is, as you said, we just become fatalist about it and we assume nothing can change. And on the one hand, you know, it, you, you sound like, Oh, well, I'm the, I'm the smart calculated person and I know nothing's going to change because I am cynical. 
But right. being right about whether something's going to change this time doesn't actually get you any points. Um, be, taking a fatalist approach to it and doing nothing because you assume nothing can be done, that doesn't get anyone anywhere. I, I'd rather be wrong and help move something forward, even if it doesn't get the result I want now, than be right and do nothing and um, watch nothing ever change. Yeah. Yeah, I... I, I searched out some sort of intelligent conservative uh, Twitter personalities to follow. I remember, you know, over this past year, I've gotten I've attempted to use Twitter more effectively, like to sort of understand how it works and, and right. you know, figure that out. And as part of that, I was, you know, looking for uh, sort of some interesting, refreshing conservative uh, voices to add to the mix. And I remember, I can't remember... And this is so this is so telling and so awful. I remember there was a there was a there was a mass shooting. I don't even remember which one it was because right. there have been so many. I, I just can't I just can't remember. You know, it might have been Las Vegas. Um, you know, it might have been. Uh, I mean, there were you know one in California recently, uh, as I recall. Um, and whichever one it was, it just you know just happened and. And that was it. But a lot of these people, you know, just took on this shocking air of superiority of like, oh, you know, cue the lib outrage brigade. You know, they want to take our AR-15s even though more people are killed by, you know. It's like, are those people disaggregating handgun deaths versus, you know, the AR-15s? AR-15s aren't the real cause. You know, if you look at the top... Uh, you know, national figure of whatever it is, 50,000 uh, annual deaths. You know, you're really talking about people killing themselves with handguns and, um, you know, youths in urban gangs killing each other with, with handguns and the AR-15s aren't the real issue. And, you know, it's just a shocking example of... Um, these people seeming to think that performing as a know-it-all like inoculates them from this question of why as a society we're allowing this to continue happening. Right. You know, and this is an instance where disaggregating sources of murder, I mean, you can disaggregate, um, problems. You can say mass shootings are one type of problem. We're not trying to solve all the problems at once. This is the right, problem we're exactly. trying to solve, and that's why we're doing this. Exactly. And <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, there and there are there are. You, know, you were talking about, um, you know, we have to do something. When will something be done? And we do have to acknowledge that no matter how eager we are to solve whatever cluster of, you know, gun death um, issues we can get our hands on at any particular moment, right? As you were saying, like, are we trying to deal with suicides? Are we trying to deal with uh, gang violence? Are we trying to deal with mass killings? You know, are we trying to deal with mass killings at schools as opposed to, you know, I mean, obviously, we've been talking about Las Vegas, and that was a completely different right. case. 
uh, in many ways than than everything else. You know, than than the you know, the topic as it is generally focused on of you know masculines at schools. Um, and um, these are indeed all different, uh, and it does behoove us to um, you know to acknowledge that. W- even if something were to happen, even if some policy change were to be implemented, the effectiveness of that change would likely be very slow and incremental and perhaps, um, you know, very marginal in the marginal in the sense of you know, minimal. Um, if you're talking about a figure like 50,000 annually, you know, even if you're just talking about school shootings, there's the and, and you're just talking or mass shootings, and you're talking about getting rid of expanded ammo cartridges. You're talking about getting rid of AR-15s on the streets. There are already so many out there that even if you ban right. them, like this yeah, well, that's and that, I mean, my point is that even if you're even if you're only reducing it by one percent, right? You know, the top level figure, you're still saving 500 lives, right? So. But but then that gets to thing. Then of course the know-it-alls will point out, oh well, you'd save more lives by improving traffic safety. Right. It's like yeah, let's do that too. Yeah. And then they don't <laughs> want to do that either. They're like, no, 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 let's not, let's not do that. Yeah. Well, but so the the thing that when it comes to the nature of oh well, you can't make any progress because there are so many guns already out there. Um, you know, it, it sort of reminds me of when it's, it's often the same people talking about climate change, where for a long time they said, oh, this isn't a problem. This is not a, this is not an issue. This is fine. Let's just keep doing what we're doing. We're going to keep pumping out a ton of guns relatively yeah. lightly regulated onto the market. We're going to keep pumping out carbon, uh, carbon dioxide. And then suddenly when they're forced to confront with the fact that it might be a problem, they say, oh, well, now there's so much out there, we can't possibly make a difference. Like we're just flooded with carbon dioxide. We're flooded with AR-15s. There's so many yeah. out there, you can't get rid of them all, so you just have to make more and ignore it. Right. That's, a, that's, I mean, that's an interesting comparison. It's, um, it's not entirely fair because, of course, you know, carbon emissions are, even now, and especially in the past, you know, the inevitable outcome of a certain you know, amount of economic activity. And so, you know, it's not the same thing, but I, I see your, I see where you're going there. Uh, but I would just push back on that, on that point that, um, no analogy is perfect. No, no don't shame my analogies. They only, only back. your puns, only your puns are perfect. Oh, okay. No, no not analogy can possibly be. Um, but yeah, this is a, this is another of the, big theme, you know, big picture themes that I've been struggling with over the last couple of years is this uh, way in which people seem to really have trouble. It's like people on either side of an argument, um, have very have a huge amount of difficulty it seems in getting to a, the place where they can talk about any particular issue 
in a way that their different approaches and different perspectives can sort of uh, tend towards a constructive outcome. And I mean, this is just such an obvious point. Uh, you know, I, I shouldn't really be wasting time even saying it. It's like, but you know, there's a way in which so many people are committed to a negative attitude that prevents solving problems, you know, either because of a lack of trust in the person they're talking to or a lack of, uh, you know, faith that the, that the underlying problem can be addressed in any meaningful way. And um, it just strikes me as, you know, one of the, one of the really pressing issues for us to figure out is how to, how to better structure these interactions to encourage cooperation, encourage good faith attempts to deal with a problem rather than um, a structure that enables people to um, fixate on every little obstacle and use it as an excuse not to address the underlying problem. Right. You know, like, oh, there are so many guns, therefore we shouldn't do anything. Oh, uh, you know, we have the second amendment, therefore we shouldn't do anything. Right. You know, when like, yeah, we do have a lot of guns, but we are an incredibly rich country. And if we wanted to, we could buy them all back. If we wanted to, we've got the money, you know, the second amendment. Well, the second amendment one, if we wanted to, we could repeal or amend it Two, you know, it's only recently that the extremist uh, turn in the Republican Party has led to the jurisprudence on that question, um, you know, expanding the rights for individual ownership in this incredible way that, uh, that we've seen since Heller. You know, this is not... But worth rem remembering that Heller he was even pretty explicit that it wasn't covering military-style weapons. Yeah, although, you know, and I mean, precisely your point being, I mean, um, your comment there, you know, being precisely in line with what I was trying to say, which is that the Second Amendment is still a matter of interpretation, even with the extreme interpretations that have come, you know, in the last uh, eight years, it's, you know, it's still a matter of interpretation. You and I might look at an AR-15, NC, an M4, but, you know, uh, other people would say, no, that's, of course that's not a military weapon. It's explicitly, right. you know, what do you think? They call this one an AR-15, and they call that one an M4. They're different, you know. Right, you can't. Notwithstanding the, fact, notwithstanding the fact that, you know, mostly in the military, you're not using an M4 on full auto. You're using it semi-auto so that you can... Um, you know, aim accurately. It's, it's like, it's, uh, that's, that's beside the point. Anyway. No, I mean, I think that, I think that kind of is the point because, um, there are so many different kinds of guns and it's hard to be educated in all of those distinctions. And then even beyond understanding the guns and being a part of America's gun culture, who, who can, who can make all of these distinctions, there's also the aspect of you need to understand how 
the military for whom these weapons were designed approaches these. Um, and I mean, I don't know about you, I have never held a, a real gun in my life. Um, mm. I mean, you know, use those air rifles for like precision shooting stuff. But other than that, I've never actually held a real one. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm fully aware that while um, I've certainly heard a fair amount about different models of guns and different potential uses for them, you know, I'm not... I'm not connected in with that culture enough to be able to speak intelligently about all of the distinctions. Well, there's a, you know, I was talking to my mom the other day about trucks and, uh, oh man, you must've seen this, the, uh, you know, MLK drum major instinct speech being used on the, uh, I think oh, it was a Dodge. I, I, so I saw that, ad when it aired and I was like what I, I was I was I had a sense of dread throughout the whole ad because I said I know this is going to be for something stupid and I'm going to yeah. get offended yeah. what's the stupid thing it's going to be and it right. ended up being even stupider and even more offensive than I imagined but <laughs> and this is the important part at a much later commercial break there was an ad for I think it was Jeep Wrangler where mm -hmm. the Jeep is just, it's just quiet and there's no voiceover. And there's this Jeep that just goes down the, this rocky crag and then goes through a bunch of water that's up fairly high. And then the voiceover just quietly intones, some car ads try to use inspiring speeches and, you know, and, and highfalutin talk to make you want to buy their truck. We're just going to show you what ours can do. And I thought that was... It was worth the first horrible ad just to get to see that second ad that smacked it down so hard. That, that's pretty funny. Um, yeah, that's 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 pretty that, that's that's pretty funny. Uh, it's still frustrating though because um, the you know it, it's interesting as a you know. For the last like ten years, being online and seeing what companies have have deemed fit based on my online behavior and demographic, uh, you know, group placement, you know, what ads they've seen fit to show me, and it's all this like sort of uh, rustic, rough and tumble you know, leather boots and backpacks and, you know, like, uh, gloves and tools and stuff. And basically they're clearly what the, what the idea is, is that despite what I actually am, which is someone who sits at a computer for a living, you know, that, that is what I have always been. I, I sit, sits in a computer, sits in front of a computer or, you know, sits in front of other people to have meetings. That's what I actually am, <laughs> right? And they suspect that probably, in fact, precisely because that is what I am, I want to pretend that I am something more authentic. I'm a man who wears heavy leather boots because I, uh, you know, strive and toil, you know, and growing up, you know, going to high school in, in Texas, in Houston's particular, you know, how many of those 
supercharged trucks are being used by people who are actually hauling anything, you know, pickup trucks. How many of those people are actually loading those with anything? My father, and, that is a point my father makes a lot when he gets kind yeah, of annoyed when he just, sees what people are using some of those trucks for. And when he sees people actually hauling something, it makes him really happy. Right. And like, and my godfather up in Maine, you know, he has a truck and he hauls stuff with it, but it's a tiny little, uh, it's like a Toyota or something. It's like, it's very sensible, you know, it, it's what he needs it for. You know, it's not a status thing for him because he's like a, whatever he is, you know, 80 year old man. He doesn't, he doesn't care anymore about the peacock nonsense. Um, I was, I was tempted to swear at multiple points just then, but, uh, you know, despite our, our rating, I figured I might as well, you know, restrain myself. But anyway, the point, the point being, obviously, you know, hopefully our, our listener is, is keeping up here that like in the same way that trucks are marketed as a symbol of manhood and masculinity, um, Nobody needs an AR-15. No one needs an AR-15. They they buy them because they're fun to shoot, and they buy them because they convey this. You know, they are a symbol of power and strength and lethality, and you know that is particularly beguiling, obviously, to these broken, crazy men who feel the need to kill other people. Um, you know, and, and perversely, those are the only people for whom the AR-15 is actually a useful tool. Right? Well, like I have heard it said that um, uh, there actually are some situations where, again, when, when there are wild... Somebody was explaining some story to me wild about hogs. wild hogs that actually you actually do need weapons like that to deal with. And... To be fair, let's assume that that's true, and I mean, why would you lie about that? Um, you could still restrict their usage. It's a fairly narrow category. There are not a lot yeah. of wild animals you're going to have to fight off with an AR-15. Even if it happens you know, in a few places, sure, let those places have it with proper regulations. But for the other 99.9% .9 of the population, there's no good use right. for an AR-15 that's good enough to justify the societal cost of making AR-15s widely available. Right. Well, even for that, I mean, my, you know, my dad uh, and I have a sort of in joint, he actually owns it, but I have also used it, a um, semi-automatic uh, shotgun mm -hmm. that, you know, a, if you have a 12-gauge, you know, solid slug shotgun, That'll probably do better with a wild hog than a, you know, 762 or whatever the AR-15. So wait, what makes a lighter round is to demonstrate both my ignorance and my willingness to learn. What makes a shotgun semi-automatic? Well, I mean, the fact that a particular shotgun is a semi-automatic or not. I mean, a semi-automatic means you pull the trigger and it fires. Right, but it once. doesn't fire continuously. So, it fires multiple times. Is that? Well, no. It's just that if a so a shotgun has whatever magazine it has. So like the sort of, um, I should forget the, uh, the terminology for this, but the, you know, a double barreled, um, shotgun that you load the shell directly into the barrel 
and therefore the capacity is you have one one shot okay. per barrel for example and you break it open to eject the shell and, and put in the uh, the next one you know that one is not I, I'm revealing my own very you know very uh, limited knowledge here because I think you just could call that a, a you know break open but <laughs> this is this is pathetic this is, edit this out no anyway, i think it's important uh, i think yeah, it actually other, other is important guns. to demonstrate what we do and don't know about firearms because other, everybody other like as, as much as you may feel you're not explaining it well you know to me and to people with backgrounds similar to mine in terms of not having any guns i didn't even know the terms you are using so i mean i know what a magazine is well i have not i have not infer, yet but, used like real terms <laughs> yeah but you know, break open guns. that's a term well that's my point is i don't I'm sure that that is not a term. I mean, oh. it's, it's it's a description. Well, uh, then I'm you sure have led us astray. No, I, I I thought it would have been clear to our viewer that I that in that particular instance I was not using. Uh, I do have to in, in while we're term. breaking the second wall. I don't know how many walls there are in a radio thing, but um, everybody's going to notice that my voice is going to suddenly sound different because I finally remembered to switch the option over to having my microphone as the input, <laughs> which means I probably spend a lot of time coughing away from a microphone that wasn't the microphone I was using, so my apologies. Yeah. Um, so, uh... Right, so, I, so but anyway, anyway. So, it, so, a semi-automatic, when you say semi-automatic just as a general term, my understanding was that semi-automatic means it can fire more than one shot per depression of the trigger, but not infinite shots per depression of the trigger? Uh, right. So any, okay. So any, um, semi-automatic weapon, it's sort of, I mean, it's sort of confusing because like, why are you even, you know, what does automatic mean? Right. Uh, I mean, in any, in some sense, a, um, you know, when we think of automatic, that's you pull the trigger and you hold it and it continues firing. Um, a semi-automatic is you pull the trigger and whether you hold it or not, you're, you just you pull the trigger and each pull uh, fires one round. Um, with shotguns, you know, sort of a traditional double-barreled shotgun for hunting or whatever, uh, like I was saying, you know, you load the shell, it could be, I mean, you're going to pull the trigger often with like traditional hunting, uh, you know, tr traditional double barrel shotgun, you'll have two triggers, uh, hmm. you know, one sort of behind the other, uh, there are different ways of building the, the weapons and, you know, for hunting geese or ducks or whatever, but there are also, uh, shotguns, which are more, you know, more modern that have. Uh, magazines where you can put, you know, six shells in it, and you pull the trigger, you fire one, you pull the trigger again, you fire the next one, you know, uh, without doing anything else. Others also would have however many uh, shells that you could load in, but in order to charge the, um, you know, the shell and ready the weapon to fire, you'd have to pump it. You know, that's another standard uh, right. round for a shotgun. Uh, the only point I was making is that 
with a shotgun, particularly a uh, large gauge shotgun, if you have a solid slug in the shell, that would do a lot of damage to a, you know, an animal like a, like one of these wild hogs you get out in um, much of the United States, particularly the South. You get these hogs that are like 700 or a thousand pounds. Wow. Um, they're very large. And that, that, that was my point that like, yeah, if you need something heavy to go after one of these freakish monsters that are real, I mean, they, they really are out there. I haven't seen one in the flesh, but I've, I've heard about them. Um, you know, you, you'd uh, likely need something bigger than what comes out of an AR-15. Um, and I believe that's a 7.62. Standard sort of NATO round. Um, and, you know, having six uh, shells ready to go, you know, bang, 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 on a semi-automatic uh, with a semi-automatic shotgun would, would, would do the trick, uh, I would think. And even better than, um, than an AR-15 where the, you know, the advantage of an AR-15 is accuracy out to, you know, four to 600 yards. Uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a minimally modified military assault rifle. And that's what it's for. Uh, it's for killing people at, you know, moderate range. Um, so you don't need it for home defense because again, shotgun is going to be better, you know, unless, unless you have, you know, a mob of 20 people, a shotgun with six rounds is going to be fine for, you know, protecting yourself from some, you know, drug addled lunatic home invader, um, or a pistol, uh, you know, for hunting, hunting rifles, again, with low magazines are more than enough to kill game. You don't need, you know, the sniper 30, rifle or you don't need a sniper rifle. You don't need 30 rounds in a, you know, military carbine, again, designed to kill people at, you know, four to 600 yards. Um, and, uh, Again, there, there are, you know, there are tools that are made for specific purposes. All of the purposes that we acknowledge that civilians should be engaged in have specific tools for those purposes. Those tools are called, you know, hunting rifles and shotguns and pistols. Uh, and, uh, you know, an AR-15, the only purpose that a civilian could even claim to use that tool for that only that tool is, you know, that, that that tool is most uh, well suited for would be, you know, some kind of sport shooting for an AR-15. But that's just a specious right. non-answer. Like, this is the best object for this because I designed this for this specifically and labeled it as being for this. Right, where the sport shooting is pretending to kill people at four to 600 yards. I mean, it's just, it, it is just inescapable uh, to boil down to this point. Anyway, we, we don't need to belabor this. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think I, to I some extent we, we, it's good to belabor this a little bit, maybe about as much as we did and not too much more simply because, you know, as, as you mentioned earlier, there are a lot of specific distinctions to be made here. And while we can't make every one of those distinctions on this podcast, demonstrating to the, to the listener that we've thought about them 
is important that we understand that yes there might be this you know this possible use for this type of gun we acknowledge that there are places where this is a factor etc etc um i think that that's important because part of the problem that you see with gun debates is it spirals off because every time you say anything there's another little point that takes you on another little you know we say there are no tangents and in this this part they're really not tangents it but they're pre preventing you from focusing. There's a point where a tangent is still um, connected to what you're saying, and it still tells you something useful, but you really do need to focus and follow one line of thought. Um, because if, if we're talking, when we're talking about, as you said earlier, there's a difference between all gun deaths and mass shootings. And the NRA's answer has always been arm everybody. Right. That that's what you should do is just give everybody guns, which is right. not surprising, given that the NRA is actually just an association of gun manufacturers, <laughs> yeah. um, which, by the way, has always felt to me to be kind of like it's almost like a mafia style protection racket where they're like, we're going to sell these incredibly these things designed to kill you. You'd better pay us money so you don't get killed by our thing by buying some of our things. It's right. It's, well, I mean, that, yeah, that's that is pretty horrific. That, that, yeah, I totally agree with that. I agree with the, you know, the twisted evil logic of, you know, protect yourself from the weapon we are foisting on you by buying our weapon. Um, but, you know, it's not the end. I mean, unfortunately, the NRA is not just the manufacturers. It is these highly motivated right. people who, for whatever reason, see, you know, their identity um, in these tools that they fetishize and turn into... Well, my understanding is that the NRA has sort of shifted over the decades from being sort of a sporting association more run by the members towards being something that is now predominantly serving the interests of the manufacturers. That's been my understanding of it. That, of course... Yeah, but is... I mean, I think, that, I mean, again, the proof is in the pudding or, like, people wouldn't care... I mean, politicians wouldn't care that much about the NRA if people didn't vote. I mean, the money... Right. You know, money and lobbying are important, but they are not everything. And, um, you know, the people who vote ultimately are the ones who, who get listened to, um, you know, as, as unfashionable as that, you know, as that statement is currently. No, I, um, I agree it's still true. with that. So what I, again, we're sort of pulling ourselves away from the focus, but while still being on point is that, you know, the, the polls will say, after all of these mass shootings, you even talk to NRA members, and you'll get like 75% of, of NRA members want the controls that the Democrats are talking about. But, and I think the Daily Show went to an NRA thing at one point, and I think it was a Daily Show, talked to somebody, and basically what you would hear was, you would say to them, do you favor, you know, banning bump stocks? Do you favor banning these expanded cartridges that are used in mass shootings? And they'd say, oh, definitely. Yeah, you should get rid of those. And then they'd say, do you favor gun control? And they'd say, oh, absolutely not. They're coming to take our guns and all these things right. about gun control. And so what we sort of have is this thing where the word gun, the, the phrase gun control means one thing to liberals, which is a bunch of, at this point, they've been beaten back so much that they'll take anything they can get and call it gun control. And another thing to, um, you know, people on the right who view gun control as meaning control of all the guns rather than a bunch of minor little things that are not meant to be a prelude to stealing everybody's gun. 
And that right. distinction, that difficulty in communicating, communicating, communicating is, um, I mean, how ironic is that? But, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, that, that's part of the problem. And I think, and that's where, when you say, you know, I, I say, for example, the NRA is the gun manufacturers. So the people who run the organization are telling people in the organization, you know, frankly lies about what it is the left wants to do with their guns. And, you know, using the phrase gun control to mean something far more expansive. And so you have this, and so they've been intentionally muddying the waters so that the terms one side uses are not the terms the other side is using, and it makes communication impossible. Yeah. No, I don't disagree with that. I think, uh, I mean, to some extent, that's the, that, I mean, that's a, it's a fundamental issue um, that goes between and it sort of pervades everything that we're talking about is, is just um, communicating the details on the one hand and also conveying significance are, you know, both of those are very difficult questions. And um, a, lot of, a lot of it has to do with group identity and trust um, that has nothing to do with the fact of the matter, right? Right. Um, so we and, can describe it much better than we in fact are. <laughs> right. These well, issues I mean, part and of still this not is... have any traction on the right. on the actual political question. Um, but, um, yeah. Well, I so. think what's important about a discussion like the one we're having is a lot of these discussions end up being a single person stating a bunch of things that they think are hard to argue with, and the reason people would then argue with them is that other people come at it from a different angle where the same words have different meaning. And so we could write a, a blog post saying, you know, this is common sense gun control, but the phrase gun control means something different to other people. And there's utility in just sitting down with, with at least two people and having them speak aloud to think through their thoughts that way so you don't end up with some of those solipsistic traps that people can run into on a debate like this. Um, yeah. and, uh, yeah, jumping back a little bit because we're, we're closing in on the end here. Um, we've talked about disaggregating different issues of different, you know, this is something that handguns cause. This is something that is caused by gang activity. This is something that is caused by, you know, assault rifles. When I hear people say, oh, but if you're banning these assault rifles, that's a tiny portion of guns. And obviously, you're never going to get rid of handguns because we need handguns for protection. We should just arm everybody. The, I mean, among the issues that I have with the arm everybody argument is that um, – so if, if our goal is – if your goal is to end mass shootings, you could – you know, the two approaches that we generally see are, one, the left wants to restrict the tools that are used in mass shootings, and the right wants to – give everybody handguns so that they can shoot back. The problem that I have with the giving everybody guns, well, I mean, among the problems with giving everybody guns so that they can shoot back, um, you know, the, the most obvious issue is, and again, I think The Daily Show did a piece on this some number of years ago, where they said, well, we're going to put you through the simulation of an active shooter, shooter situation, yeah, and right, you've yeah. got a gun, and now you've got to try to stop the guy, and you see just how hard it is. Or in the shooting where Gabby Giffords was injured, there was somebody who did have a gun who heard the commotion and ran over, but it wasn't clear to him who was the shooter. And if he had taken the shot, he said he would have shot the wrong guy. Right. Um, 
So, you know, that is a concern with that. But in addition to that, you have to be careful that arming everybody doesn't have other consequences. And it's just an article of faith um, by people on the right that if that an armed society is a polite society. <laughs> but I don't know that there's really a whole lot of evidence for that. Um, my concern is even if giving everybody a gun would stop these mass shootings, and I'm not convinced that it would, but if it did, I think you're being way too loyally about this. I mean, there is there is absolutely no evidence that an armed society is a polite society. Right. In fact, there's a huge amount of um, evidence framing this as an you know as a public health issue and a sort of epidemiological uh, you know question that shows in this you know more bacteria, more sickness, more guns, more gun deaths. You know, it's, it's quite, it's right. quite straightforward. But, but anyway, so my concern here is if we arm everybody, um, then what that's going to do is even if that does reduce the number of deaths in mass shootings, that at least intuitively to me would seem that it would massively increase the number of escalations that result in deaths in normal disputes. If you just imagine every time you've ever – imagine that it – because the NRA wants everybody armed all the time. Imagine if during every fight and every heated situation you have ever witnessed in your entire life, one of those people had a gun. I mean, I think we had 17 people killed no, this is, in Florida, this is, and I'm uh, trying to think, like, you know, year on a, on a yearly basis, how many of those fights are, would result in deaths if everybody always had a gun when they get angry? And a lot of, and you know, a lot of murders are by somebody you know who's in a fit of rage or something like that. You know, it's got to be a much higher number than 17 there. So is but this is a but this is sort of a morbid thing to say. But because of the way that we deal with the trauma of mass shootings, would we take more deaths overall in exchange to not have mass mass shootings specifically? Is there something different about their character that would make that a trade off we would take as a society? I mean, it's a sort of weird, I mean, it's sort of an interesting question, but it's, uh, uh, I mean, it is kind of where we're going, right? I mean, this is the, the absurdity, of, it's like, frankly, it's an absurd question, but it is the absurdity that we're dealing with, right? Because that is the direction that we are, uh, sliding inexorably towards as the gun nuts have their way, um, you know, the, the gun nuts on the one hand, and then the sort of, uh, you know, uh, whole, um, what's the term? Uh, sort of the, the, the wise cynics who are mm. so much cleverer than all of us who, uh, who are trying to grapple with this problem because they, unlike us, understand that it's intractable and, you know, therefore it's not even worth attempting. So, you know, those, those useful, uh, world weary cynics right. are, you know, enabling the, the gun nuts to drag us in precisely the direction that you just described. Who are, tend to be the same people who said a black man could never get elected president of the United States. Oh, you're so, you're just giving in to all of this hype or, oh, you'll never be able to, <laughs> or, oh, Orville and Wilbur, you'll never design a machine that can fly. That's ridiculous. Right. Right. Because exactly. you've seen hundreds and hundreds of people fail before you. Um, I mean, yeah, and that's all right. Well, yeah. as we're closing, in well, on the... so I should say, and speaking of trust and identity and all that, you know, if if my if our flailing attempts to get into the specifics of you know 
uh, gun mechanics weren't just uh, sort of obviously pathetic on their own. I just want to make it clear. Uh, obviously, insofar as the AR-15 is a military variant, uh, the standard chamber is for the 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 556 standard NATO round, although it can be chambered in a with a 762. Uh, I just while I was in the middle of it, I got confused, but wanted to make that. Well, that invalidates everything that we said today. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, now I'm going to um, wind things down because um, we have there. There is, as we've mentioned before, Thucydides is sort of a guide to everything, and um, in a lot of ways, it you know it goes back so far, and it's so applicable in so many different situations. Well, there is a famous passage in Thucydides that comes up when uh, school shootings like this occur. It's from Book 7, uh, Tablet 29, where it says, um, Everywhere confusion reigned and death in all its shapes, and in particular they attacked a boy's school, the largest that there was in the place, into which the children had just gone and massacred them all. In short, the disaster falling upon the whole town was unsurpassed in magnitude and unapproached by any in suddenness and in horror. You know, these problems, the idea of attacking a school has been around for a long time, and that idea is not an American concept. We saw that in Pakistan not that long ago, that they go after schools. We've seen this in Afghanistan where, Afghanistan where um, you know, they, they'll, attack people, they'll attack girls on their way to schools, the idea that girls shouldn't be taught. That the idea of attacking schools where children, where the most vulnerable people are, that goes back a very long time. But part of what we have now is we've given an individual the capacity to do what it used to take, you know, a, a, a platoon of, of soldiers to do. It's not a group of Thracians doing it now who have to coordinate and decide this is what they want to do. Or in the attack in Pakistan where it was a number of people. Here in America, it just takes one person who snaps to do this and we've made a choice as a society to allow the weapons that do this to flood the streets so anyway um from this sober topic we're going to um have a hard break to this week's sign off where um today i'm going to lighten your mood by giving you another wacky charles dating story hey wait where are you going no, no, come back. This one, this one is actually funny. I promise you. Please. Oh. <laughs>